Welcome to the Real Talk Theology Podcast, where everyone is a theologian. Whether you believe in God or just have thoughts about God, we invite you to join us as we discuss doctrine for everyday life. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Real Talk Theology. My name is Allie and I'm joined with Aaron, Brock, and Chris, and we are so excited to continue our conversation on revivalism. We are, and this is kind of a <laughs> sad right. episode. No, it doesn't have to be sad. We'll save it for the end. We'll save it for the end. All right. You got to stick around to the end to, to hear hear the breaking news. The R-I-P. breaking news. Dun, You'll dun, hear it here dun, first. Dun, 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 dun. And we know that this is going to air in the middle or after? Sometime during March Madness. Sometime during March Madness. But we want to go ahead and predict the winner now so you can hear Ooh. it from us first yes. that we know Yes. Who's going to win? So Aaron? They, they, uh, no games have started. They start in like two hours. Or, okay, good. So, so we're we're, we're ahead of this. We're not cheating. Chris, anymore. we know you're passionate about this. Yeah, Who you got in the finals? I, I don't know that it's humanly possible for me to care any less about <laughs> wow. this topic than I do really. So, wow. Yeah, a man of the people. That's where I stand on a it. A man of so, for all the people. So if you're out there and you don't, you're not into sports, like, hey, I'm with you. Uh, those conversations start around the water cooler or whatever, and you're just standing there yeah. like, yeah. That's me. You're like, hey, I, I exist, but I don't. I, usually, I, don't, I don't even say this. anything. I usually just kind of turn around and walk off. <laughs> yeah, you just like, kind of like that slow exit. Yep. Well, we know there's some folks out there that don't care about sports. Some folks have every TV in their house, maybe like Allie, mm-hmm. set up to yep. watch March Madness. So, yep. Allie, let's start with you. Okay. Who you got? Final Four in the finals. Final Four. I've got Alabama and Tennessee. I've seen Gross. both of them play incredible basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also have Houston and Kansas playing. Okay. Really? Yep. And okay. I say national championship game is Tennessee and Kansas, and I've got Kansas winning by six points. Wow. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Aaron, what about you? Yeah. So I have Virginia and Duke playing, and then I have uh, Houston and TCU. And so um, – yeah, I just I think Alabama. I just hate Alabama, so it's, it's wishful thinking that they that they. <laughs> I don't like lose. them. I just I hope they're off. Like, just, they're good at sports. They're going to lose to Maryland. So yeah. Mark, that Mark, one Mark. Alabama fan that we had as a podcast listener yeah. is now done. Look, my, mark my words here. Look, Alabama's losing to Maryland, but uh, and then I have Duke. We will and mark those Houston words. duking it out. See what it did there? They're playing oh Duke. wow! But Duke's not going to duke it out enough because they're going to lose to Houston seventy-one to sixty-five. Okay, so Boom. it's a close game. Close game, yeah. But Houston, like I think Duke. Was very disrespected in the bracket. I think they should be at least a fourth seed or a three eh, seed, eh. or their five seed. So eh. they're gonna take the they're gonna they're gonna lose. But I think right. I think Vandy should have made it. But that's another conversation. Gotcha. So <laughs> I've got in the the final four. I picked. I feel like you can go two ways with a bracket. Chris, you mentioned this earlier one time. You just filled out the highest number for every seed, mm-hmm. and they won, and you would have won. Or you can go the less conventional route. And really look for some underdogs. Yep. And and that's like kind of that. me. That's like kind of me. That. So I've got Alabama and Tennessee mm-hmm. along with Houston and Gonzaga ah. in the finals, mainly because I just really like Drew Timmy. And I think this is his senior year. I uh, love watching him play. And so I, I have hopes that Gonzaga and Alabama will go to the finals, but I think Alabama is going to pull it off. Final score, 67-61, Alabama. I love how we're repping our Arkansas gear. I did. We, did, I we wore, didn't even give them a, We didn't give them a chance. Hey, I got them winning one game. Same. They, hey, look, they got to prove themselves a little bit yeah, because it's, it's been a rough, a rough few games. I have going to the lead eight and losing to TCU. So I'm. That's I mean, sweet. I have a little bit of pride. Well, you know? I I just 
They got to prove it a little bit. Okay, that's fair. I understand. So, hey, today we are talking a little bit more about revivals and revivalism. If you didn't catch our last episode, go back. Uh, What we are doing is we're walking through um, some of the evidences for and the things that may appear like evidences but aren't quite exactly that from from Jonathan Edwards. He wrote an essay on how how to be able to identify a work of the Spirit. And over the last episode, we spent some time talking through the nine things that Sometimes we're inclined to think are an evidence of the work of the Spirit, but it's not necessarily true. Now, that doesn't mean that those things can't um, accompany a true work of the Spirit, but they are not things in and of themselves that are enough to identify a work of the Spirit. But what we're going to be doing today is talking through five things that he gives us that are Scripture evidences for a work of the Spirit. And so these are things that if we see these uh, evidenced in people's lives or in a group of people or in a movement, we can be confident that that God is at work in those people. So you guys ready for number one? Ready. Ready? Ready? All right. Number one is this. It raises the esteem of Jesus Christ in their eyes. Pretty simple. Mm -hmm. Pretty straightforward. However, what I would say is it raises the esteem of Jesus Christ. All right, we got to make sure that uh, you know as we're looking at this evidence that it's the it's the same Jesus that is the biblical Jesus. Ooh, talk about that. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and I and I'll use an example um, that I think I want to say it was Matt Chandler back like 10, 12 years ago uh, was talking about importance of theology in worship music, and uh, and he said you know worship essentially is declaring who God is. God, you are faithful. You are merciful. You are so forth and so on. And, um, and he said, so one day I'm going to, as an example, he said, I'm going to come home and spend some time worshiping my wife. And I'm going to say, honey, you're so beautiful and you know, you're, you're gracious and you're loving and, and man, that brown hair and those green eyes, just, you know, that, that, they're just so gorgeous and on and on and on. He's gushing about his wife. And that all sounds like great worship and praise to her, except his wife is blonde haired, blue eyed. <laughs> and, uh, and so like got a basic S a base, very basic part of her nature or her character wrong and hmm. so she's looking do you think she's pleased with that worship no, no she's like who are you talking about and so i think as we look at this as raising the esteem of jesus is it the biblical jesus that we're talking about yeah, that's good mm-hmm. uh the jesus that responded to sin in the way that he did uh both in the loving but also the firm this yeah. is what is right and what is wrong uh, and so, uh, yeah, is is it the biblical Jesus that we're raising esteem of, or a culturalized America, especially here in the states, an American mm-hmm. culturalized version of Jesus uh, mm-hmm. that's yeah. being esteemed? That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think whenever we look in the New Testament, you know, especially the Book of Acts, what is it that through the kind of that narrative of the early church beginning, as you see the Spirit of God at work in people, like what is the thing that the Spirit is doing time and time and time again? It's it's moving upon people to focus their eyes on Jesus. It's mm-hmm. it's going to work and inhabiting people so that they might have their eyes open and that they would see Jesus. It's not necessarily just about, you know, open their eyes to their culture or to themselves or anything like that over and over and over again. What the Holy Spirit does in the New Testament is it helps people to see Jesus. And so we can be confident that that's the same thing that the Holy Spirit is going to do when when he works today. Well, and along those lines, it's seeing Jesus, not a particular leader or personality outside of Jesus being Mm -hmm. esteemed, you know, and even Paul, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah. You know, and because some were, you know, we see this narrative play out in the scripture where people are beginning to esteem these early church leaders. Yep. And, and they're having to point them back to Jesus because there's, this is a real 
mm-hmm. true revival taking place where thousands are coming to know uh, this Jesus. And so, yeah. so what do you what do y'all think if it's if it's really about looking to Jesus? Why is it that so many revivals or what we would call revivals seem to have um, a very iconic, very winsome, very identifiable leader somehow associated with them? Hmm. Any thoughts on that? Are you saying like somebody? Usually, like modern day revivals are driven yeah. by somebody. Very yeah, Se- seems like a lot of times at the center, there's there's there can be a big name or like a team of big names. Yeah. Um, well, and some of these guys, these revivals we're talking about, you know, back. In, yeah, Finney. Yeah, but early on, these guys weren't big names, right? <laughs> like, and uh, and it's our natural gravitation as people to begin to find something to worship, <laughs> and so. Yeah. Uh, and so inevitably we end up with what we see today, the celebrity pastor movement, yeah. the things yeah. like that. I so. think, oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I was just going to say also, like, I don't want to just cast that in a bad light. Sometimes it's like, oh, here are these quote unquote bad leaders. Like you also look in the past and I mean, Spurgeon, oh, Whitfield, yeah. like there are like good names associated as being at the center of the vi- of revival. But, but yeah, what, what? Why do you think that yeah, so tends to be I think, the case? I think that that goes also, that could tie into another question that I'm just going to piece together here. But also, like, I, th- I think people are hungry. I think overall, it, it, let's use the good people, for example. People are hungry for a true revival. Yeah. Um, but they know that they're going to get people in. Like, some people may come for the wrong reason. Some people may hear Charles Spurgeon's going to be there, you know, and like, oh, snap, I'm going to see Spurgeon. <laughs> like, there's been plenty of events where... Like then they get wrecked by the Holy Spirit. When yeah, they get there. wrecked by the Holy Spirit. It's just <laughs> so. like it's like you know I've been at plenty of events where my heart was not in the right place when I arrived, and then I got there because I man I was pumped to see like I was pumped to see Ed Newton a few months ago at Econ. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and I got there. No, I feel and like. I got wrecked by the Holy Spirit, not by Ed Newton through yeah. through Ed Newton and the Holy Spirit, and so like but my heart wasn't in the right place, and I think it's a lot of times we enter with like good convictions or like. We, we want to have true revival, so we try to do these events and we try to have these big names, this big thing happen or just draw people in with it. But we have to remember ultimately at the end of the day that it's the gospel that, that wins souls. And like, you know, I'm even going to pick on, on us, for example. Like we did, we did Blender Wars last night at, at church. Yikes. And that was disgusting. Disgusting. A chili cheese dog and everything. <laughs> and so, yeah, Ugh. I was up there, got spit on by Jeffrey Tool, everything, Ew. you know, on accident. But Shout out Jeffrey. Shout out to Jeffrey, yeah. Um, Jeffrey but spin. no, my point is like, uh, that's fun. I, I like that kind of stuff. I didn't like it. But I, I, like overall, that kind of stuff's fun. But it's like we have to remember though, like a lot of those kids may come there for the game mm-hmm. and they may forget like, oh, like, I'm here for fusing the events. And they forget that like yeah. the Holy the, about the Holy Spirit. And so we just have to be careful about like good intentions of having events and, and event-driven things or big coordinators and big names. Yeah. But well, but know. let me say this too about that, about the the like the Spurgeon and these guys who's called the Prince Billy of Graham. Preachers and Billy Graham. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. There's something to be said too, not so much about a personality or a skill set, but about an anointing. And it's not yeah. a term we use a lot in our Baptist right. tribe sometimes, but the fact is that the Holy Spirit anoints certain individuals oh, and gives spiritual gifts to for evangelism or for uh stir mobilizing people to the mission field or, or for these different yeah. things. So. I um, even just think about like taking it out of a, a faith-based aspect, like mm-hmm. humans are not inherently good, but we are always captivated by somebody who speaks out against whatever it is. Or for whatever we like. Yes, yeah. exactly. And so one of my favorite phrases in scripture is how much more. So like mm-hmm. when that anointing is on someone, just how much more captivated. Yeah by them are we. Yeah. And so I think that that's what you see a lot of 
in revivals. So yeah, and the the big thing is is that person is that person soaking up soaking up the spotlight, mm-hmm. or are they continually doing everything they could, kind of like John the Baptist. I must decrease so that he must increase. Um, I'm not going to emphasize everything about me and how lucky God is to have me and how awesome I am. I'm going to try to continually shift people's eyes to Jesus. Well, and take in mind this, too, as we look at revival, is you look at where the church revival is happening right now in the world. We talk about Asbury and all these Mm -hmm. things. I'm like, there's thirty to 50,000 per day. Mm-hmm. Coming to Christ in China is, is best we can estimate, right? right? Thirty to fifty thousand a day. The the basketball games you guys are talking about that fills those stadiums every oh, yeah. day. Mm-hmm. And this isn't some polished preacher. This isn't some great worship band. Mm-hmm. This is proclamation of the gospel, primarily happening in small group settings. Yeah, yeah absolutely. By in a lot of cases, illiterate Chinese farmers. I mean, Holy Spirit and the gospel is enough. That's it. Yeah. So number two. It operates against Satan's interests by discouraging sin. So last week there was one of these, uh, number seven on things not to buy, by which to judge. It says it is intermixed with errors in judgment or delusions of Satan. We talked about how sometimes not revivals aren't, aren't perfect. Some people might try to use them for, for false motives. However, we see that as a whole, a revival operates against Satan's interests by discouraging sin. Which makes sense because if the Holy Spirit is at work in the life of believers or in the lives of individuals drawing them to salvation, there should be a conviction of sin and then there should be a conviction to sin less. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There should be, I mean, there should be a holy brokenness. You know, yeah. we don't, we don't like to be broken, but I'm kind of stealing from Bodie Bauckham here, but like, you know, that's, that's the appropriate response is like when we are, we have to be driven to a state of brokenness that is holy and that reflects Jesus. And, you know, it, it we, we understand I am not good at all with, apart from Christ, yeah. and so if we don't, if we don't leave revival with that mindset, then I, I don't think that the I don't think that we really had revival. So why, so why for a lot of people might they think of revival in a way that that doesn't involve any type of sin? Like, what? How should we characterize that? If someone says, "Oh, there's a revival, there's a work of the Spirit, like God did something," but there's no real conviction of sin, there's no real sorrow for wrongdoing, like. How do we make sense of that? I I would then question, is it even a true revival? That sounds a lot like feeling based hmm. to me. There's no there's no fruit of the work of revival, hmm. um, and that's a good measure on you know whether or not we're growing spiritually. And I would say that you could measure revival in the same way. Yeah. Well, all the major revivals we see through history are earmarked by conviction of sin and repentance, a turning mm-hmm. from a change. They are no longer the same walking out as they were walking in. And, and in some cases, even if they had a relationship with Christ, they are still no longer the same walking out as they walked in. Not that their full identities changed, but they've come to a greater awareness of sure. their wretchedness before the holiness of this God yeah. and the need for obedience because yeah. of because he is being esteemed to a greater degree, like we right. said in the yeah. first point. And I would add to that too, like just because and I, I don't even know if this is right to say, but you'll tell me if it's not. Um <laughs> so the the Jesus revolution of the seventies then yeah. sparked you know, all these small revivals across the nation. My mom ended up telling me that that's what got my grandpa <laughs> to go. Um, and he was a sailor. He grew up through the Great Depression. And so just a lot of painful life experiences. And he spoke like a sailor as well. Um, but he didn't come to know Jesus until he was in his 80s. Yeah. And that happened probably in his 40s. And so 
it introduced him to Jesus and he knew who he was, um, but he had not given his life to him. And so even in a case like that, where I would say there was no change in his sin pattern, Mm -hmm. his eyes were opened um, for the first time maybe. And so I, I can't say that like it was discouraging that he didn't give his life to Jesus at that point because he did before he died. And that's what was important to us. Um, so, you know, I can't say like, well, that was a bad revival necessarily. Like it was good. And just for my grandpa who was in attendance, it did not have that same effect. And I think that's what's so key about when we're talking about revival is we want to, we want to label things. We want to, um, have an answer for what's happening right now. But when we're talking about revival and works of the Spirit, so often like these things take time mm-hmm. to show evidence of what they really were. I mean, in that instance, it took 40 years for the seed that was planted to be watered. and cul- We don't know how much watering and cultivating it took over that time. And so we shouldn't be quick to say, oh, well, we can't say anything about it because we've got to wait for time. But so often things like, you know, do they esteem Jesus more? Do they have sin discouraged in their lives yeah. that takes that takes times to see because because even if if they're they're um they're discouraging sin in their own, their own lives or convicted of sin we all know that you just because you come to jesus you're you're spiritually changed you're made new but it doesn't necessarily like just magically snap a finger and mm-hmm. all your worldly problems go away and right. all your temptations just kind of fizzle out it's just now you have the power to overcome the temptation because the holy spirit is working inside of you yeah. and so there may still be a long road of fighting that sin, but now there's a discouragement where before there was a delight in Mm -hmm. the sin. Now there's a desire to get rid of the sin. I think of how Paul talks about, he lists out all those sins to the Corinthians, and he says, such were some of you. So there's this this change that takes place, but sometimes that's that idea of sanctification, that we have been sanctified, we've been set apart, but then God is continuing to sanctify us, which means simply shaping and molding us to look and live more like Jesus each and every day. Well, and I'll use an example of this, and we see this this pattern throughout the scriptures. Uh, It's easy to read through like the story of Moses and forget like, oh yeah, there's a 40 year gap between this point and this point, you know, but, uh, you know, we're a, we're a microwave culture. Yep. We want quick results. We want to see instant, you know, we want instant gratification. God's a marinator. You know, you put a steak in the microwave and see how that turns out, that gray bubbly stuff. And it's not good. But you marinate a steak and you cook it over time. That's more how God works often. And you look at, you know, I mentioned a little while ago the number of people coming to Christ in China and also Iran right now, which is another place that church is growing by bounds. Guys, it took generations of missionaries going, praying down spiritual strongholds in the spiritual realm because there is spiritual warfare, uh, sharing the gospel and sometimes not seeing the fruit in their own lifetime. It took them living and dying for generations to see what we see today. And so, you know, sometimes I think we we uh, overlook what God's already doing in revival yeah. in a lot of our churches and in, and yeah. in our nation in a yeah. lot of ways because we're looking for instant gratification while God's yeah. like, well, I'm doing a new work and I'm doing it in my timing. For sure. You heard it here first. Chris Coleman says God's not a vegetarian. Aaron, did you have a final <laughs> thought on uh, that? Yeah, I mean, just to bring it back to our, to our first point that we started with, uh, I kind of think like it's interesting with the big name preachers or the small name preachers that we bring in you know, like you're saying with time and the time could be a week. The time could be years uh, as we see in scripture. Or it can be in a moment. Mm-hmm. And we also it, it, see it instances where lives yeah. are radically, I mean, I'm Paul. an example of that too. Yeah. Paul's an example mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, but my calling to ministry and my salvation are synonymous. And so yeah. it was a radical shift. Yeah. But in other cases, it's not. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a, but we all have those moments. And I mean, last night was one of those for me as well uh, for the students. I mean, Chris and I both talked after uh, you preached and stuff and 
um, just, just thinking through all the students were like, man, that was fire. You know, that was gas. That was one of the best <laughs> sermons we've ever heard. And that stuff. means, um, that was great. Yeah. Fire, for those yes, of you who yes, aren't aware. Translate, translate yeah. Gen yeah. Z to English. Look, look, look. It's not even Gen Z anymore, is it? I'm Gen Z. He's yeah. Gen Z. But underneath him, underneath the, they're, yeah, just, they're just heathens. Gen, Gen heathens. Oh my gosh. Um, Yikes. But to, to make that point known, like students were fired up. Like they were, you were passionate about the word and they were like, man, this is good stuff. The question is now, as good as the sermon was, what do we do with that? You know, yeah. are we just going to acknowledge Chris Coleman's a stud muffin? Because he is. You know? Wow. So you're I mean, the celebrity at the center of revival. Dude, everybody, I mean, everybody's pumped. <laughs> but to, to not hype you up too much, you know, uh, because you do live in my basement. Um, oh, my god! That's gosh. the way I'm looking at it now. <laughs> he, uh, he no longer says he lives in my attic. I live in his basement. Oh, that's right. Wow. But it's creative. To, to, make, to make the point make sense is like, yeah, that was a great sermon. And it was. I mean, everybody can agree. But what do we do with that? When yeah. Charles Spurgeon yells at us, what do we do with that? When mm-hmm. when Pastor West yells at us, when, like and preaches at us, when well, Chris even Coleman, this morning, that's been my prayer. Just thinking about last night was you know was watching all those students mm-hmm. come forward. I'm like, but Lord, let it be fruit that lasts. Yeah, mm-hmm. let it let it be real. That's like a Shane and Shane song. So life. number three, it causes men to have a greater regard for the Holy Scriptures. So as real revival is taking place, one of the evidences for that is should is that there is a love, a desire, um, a commitment. Um, a leaning in to God's word. Let's talk about this for a moment. When the spirit works, why should it be evidenced that people are growing in their love and devotion to the Holy scriptures? Cause that's, that's how he talks to us. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the same. It's like, I should care. Okay. Lord willing, when I get married one day, you know, I should care and I will care about what my wife has to say, Yeah, you know? And it's like, with people that you're not connected with as much, I mean, sure, you we should listen to people intently yeah. no matter what. But with my wife, when she has something to you say, you have a wife. Okay, with my future spouse, <laughs> he's trying. Lord willing, uh, <laughs> if she has something to say, I better be listening. You know, or yeah. there's um, there's consequences to that. I mean, for you know, for my wife, maybe the couch. For you know, for God, probably. Wait, works. you're gonna put you your know? wife on the couch? No, 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 or no, no, no. She's 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 gonna throw me there. Aaron's got Aaron's got a bossy future listen, wife. <laughs> listen, listen. My point though is like, if we're gonna take serious the relationships with humans that we have on Earth with their word, yeah, yeah, yeah. we have to understand God's word is is through Scripture. And if we don't have a high regard for what God says, then yep. ultimately we don't have a high regard for God. Yeah. And so, and the Holy well, Spirit does lead does lead us. I think, you know, we don't have time to get into it right now. I think the Holy Spirit can speak to us in leanings. Um, there have been times where I think there's thoughts that I've had that don't think, I, I don't think they're thoughts that I would have had on my own. They're things that the Holy Spirit has brought to my mind. But at the same time, the primary way in which God talks to us is through His Word. Mm-hmm. And if there's ever a spiritual leaning or feeling that we have that we think could be the Holy Spirit and it doesn't match up to God's Word, then it's not the Holy Spirit because God's not going to contradict Himself. And so the only way that we can try Trust those sometimes, um, I don't want to say the word deceptive, but sometimes unsure feelings of the Holy Spirit is that we know God's word really well. Um, I, I heard it uh, said one time, you know, a lot of us want to hear God speak to us. And um, it was, if, if you want to hear God speak to you, read your Bible. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear God speak to you audibly, read your Bible out loud. Yeah. The Bible is God's word to us, and it's the way in which the Holy Spirit communicates us primarily. Well, these top three points really are all connected. Yes. Because you can't claim to esteem Jesus and yet not have a high regard for the word. Because in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And down in verse 14 of yeah. the Gospel of John, you know, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Mm-hmm. You can't have a, a high esteem for Jesus and not have an esteem for his word, which leads to 
an understanding of what sin is and sin isn't as God right. defines it in the Word. Mm-hmm. And so those are all intricately intertwined. You can't yeah. separate yep. them. Absolutely. Which, unfortunately, in our culture now, sometimes we try to separate those things out. I say we. Mm-hmm. Folks do try to separate those things out of like, oh, I love Jesus, but you know, I'm not that hip on this particular thing that the Scripture has to say yeah. about whatever it is, sexual mm-hmm. identity or whatever. Yeah, and, and I think that's the other thing is it's, it's, a, it's a devotion for all of the Scriptures, for yeah. all of the Bible, not just the, the, the parts that we like, not just kind of, dis- oh, well, the stuff that we don't like, that's not really relevant anymore. It's, it's for its, in, in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Number four, it is a spirit of truth which convicts them of the gospel truth. So, and again, we see a connection between all, all five of these. As a revival is taking place, the spirit of truth convicts them of gospel truth. So ultimately, as they're pointing people to Jesus, as they're pointing people to the scriptures, what's the ultimate connection that people are making is that this leads them to believe in the gospel, which means if there's any other um, conviction or any other conclusion that a revival is leading people to that's mm-hmm. other than the gospel, believing in Christ dying for our sins, rising from the dead, um, ascending to the Father so that we can have a relationship with Him through faith. If there's any other conclusion that's made, then we have to question if that's really revival because what is God about? God's about the gospel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as we're thinking through this, though, what are maybe some other conclusions that people could come to in a revival that they might call a revival that, that are other than the gospel? What are some false conclusions that that revivals or religious experiences or services can lead people to that we need to be aware of other than just being convinced of the gospel. I think when we were talking about, you know, why is there always like one individual who kind of is associated with leading this revival? I think a lot of times people could come to the conclusion that that person Mm. is guiding them. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can even dabble into like weird forms of legalism where it's like, Yes, that might be in the Bible, hmm. yeah. but that is not what you're expected to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, I think also uh, my generation, what we fell into, and I think what we're still falling into a lot of times at church camps and stuff, is like, man, something really serious, like the gospel really is spread and there is a true, there's there's truth being spoken. But a lot of times we take that, and I've learned this from you, but there's this, there's this form of legalism called quiet time guilt. And we get mm-hmm. this form of like, man, Oh, I must be spending time with Jesus. Uh, like I, um, I must, I must do it th- like at seven o'clock. And if oh, if I sleep in and it's seven o five, then I miss my time with Jesus. And oh man, I'm just not going to do it anymore. And we kind of give up. And so like I think there's a way where we can go kind of too, um, too liberal with it in a sense mm-hmm. of like what I mean by liberal is like we just kind of get too, too like free. too just like oh you know I don't really need to spend time with Jesus because whatever. But sometimes we like if we don't hit the right time and if we miss one time, we beat ourselves up yeah. and then we miss other times. And so I think there's two different forms of that that can come from just dangerous legalisms. In a well, sense. part of the gospel truth is that once you've come under the blood of Christ, there's nothing, J.D. Greer words it this way, there's nothing that you can do that's going to make God love you any more or any less. Yeah. And we fall into this thing, uh, especially in our SBC tribe, where somehow we're earning a greater degree of God's love for us or yeah. favor for us if we do X, Y, and Z, the quiet time thing, whatever it is. And mm-hmm. and uh, and that's just not the gospel. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the gospel, and it, and it just kind of leads into what the next point is, um, the gospel, if you really gain a heart knowledge of the freedom that comes in the gospel, uh, it doesn't point you towards 
taking liberties in Christ is, yeah. is are called sometimes yeah. that, that lead us into not being great examples. And yeah. I won't go into specifics of it, but just, just an example of this uh, would be, you know, we're not free from sin in order that we may have freedoms sin to more go sin. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, to quote Romans, you know, that's, yeah. and so, um, so in any case, and one example of this too is, um, you know, we saw in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, there was a, uh, what's called a, um, Oh, what do they call it? It's like a um, Calvinistic resurgence or whatever it is. And uh, wrestlers reformed. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> movement. And uh, and hey, I get it. Like I, you know, I was an executive pastor at a church plant that's highly reformed, and uh, like I understand that. But what I what I saw within that was while we had a lot of young people who were making profession of Christ, I also saw a lot of things where. Um, one, legalism was beginning to creep in. Yeah. And two, the liberties in Christ were being taken in a way that, and, and, yeah. and I'll use alcohol as an example. Um, I know this is getting slightly off topic, but it does relate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where my stance had to fall on that, I had to weigh through that as a young guy at that point, a young right. leader. And I'm like, well, I'd rather be an example than an excuse for folks. Yeah. And, you know, in, in everything, not just the mm-hmm. alcohol thing. I want to be an example, not an excuse for somebody to, to stumble. And that includes being an example of not being a legalist. Yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because there is nothing that we can do that's going to make God love us any more, any less. Once he mm-hmm. sees us in the blood of Christ, he sees pure, he sees spotless, he sees his child. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that, then, this fifth point that I know we're headed towards, yep. you know, there's this, uh, you can say it, Brock, because you've been introducing each one of the points, but uh, unless you have more to say on this point. No, I was just saying, I think, I think that's a really good summary that the, the conviction of, of the gospel truth is is Jesus's finished work on the cross and the 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 finished work of the empty tomb for us rather than us the 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 central kind of hope being man I can go liberality do whatever I want or legalism man I better do everything right or or like somehow I'm going to lose God's affection and love um, I think it was Wade Morris at a, at a camp a couple years ago said, God loves you as much on your worst day as on your best day. Mm. And so that really answers the, the, the thing for Luke. But also some people what just leaving. What a freeing thing I know, to some, get from your head to your but heart. But again, some people, you know, when they're looking at revival, it's regardless of the, the hope or the conviction that they've come to, like if that conviction doesn't produce like a warm, fuzzy feeling in them, yeah. or like maybe, you know, you see – these quote unquote revivals or works of the spirit where people are are supposedly getting healed. And I think God can heal people miraculously. I think he can do that during a service. But some of these things that it just looks very dramatized and almost scripted. Like some people if if they come and they don't get physically healed, well then like revival didn't take place. And and no, revival is something that happens inward because of conviction of the gospel, which then should lead if if we are to kind of follow this the the stream, if we're esteeming Jesus in our eyes, if we are discouraging sin in our lives, if we are leaning into the Holy Scriptures, if we're convicted of the gospel, then this should, number five, the final um, Scripture evidence for a work of the Spirit, number five is that there should be a spirit of love toward God and man, which is really just basic Christianity, that that you're going to live as, as the Bible has said that people who follow God live, because what did Jesus say people would know his disciples by? By their love for one another. Yeah, exactly. John 15. Which, again, uh, we can speak some on that now, but we did 
two episodes on the love that God has for us, and because of his love for us, we did a second episode on the love that we should have for one another. We would encourage you guys to check out. But why is it that a a revival, a work of the Spirit, should be finally evidenced by a spirit of love towards God and man? God is love. (laughs) Good answer. All right, that's it. Good answer, good answer. Join us next time on... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So yeah, a spirit of love toward God, but then also I think this is where it's really key. It's also towards man. A lot of times mm-hmm. we think about revival leads us to love God, but it should also, with the gospel convicting us of our own sin, of of our eyes being opened and just being amazed that a, a God like ours could love us so much and forgive us so much, how can that not change and transform the way that, that we treat others? Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and then you also have to say, like, what is love for others? Because yeah. if it's, you know, love and acceptance, we obviously talked about on the... on It's, the, not, it's not mere affirmation. Yeah, it's not mm-hmm. affirmation. Um, That's so, actually not always love. Exactly. Yeah. I'll <laughs> test you, Aaron. So, What's the definition of love? That so I the Chris Coleman definition of love is... It's not mine. <laughs> I, I was taught this <laughs> definition. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. I thought you made this up. But anyway, we'll give Chris Coleman credit because he's a legend. All right. Love is choosing the highest, oh. best, or good. Oh my gosh, this dude's pocket knife is just... I don't know out. how. Somehow my pocket knife like flipped open. And I was like, something <gasps> is poking me in the side. And uh, it, was it you somehow yourself. opened itself in my pocket. Wow. Okay. Reasons you don't have weapons. Love is choosing the highest good or best for God and for others in that order. Because we're going to always choose what's best for God first. But how do we choose what's best for God? Well, he gives us instructions by choosing what's best for others and portraying our love for him through our love for others. Boom. Chris Coleman definition. So I know I'm right. Wow. <laughs> My gosh. But yes, so we just uh, talked yeah. about that whole personality thing and following. Look, through my love for Chris Coleman, I'm glorifying God by edifying. Follow me as I follow. I don't Christ. know. It feels uh, a little like idol worship. Yeah, 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 it's a little However you want. Right but no, there. I think that's like to to really understand that point though is like if we leave the revival or or the setting of where mm-hmm. the scripture where scripture is being taught and the gospel is being proclaimed, and we fall back into like a worldly view of just like. Oh yes, I know Spirit was moving, and then it's like I can't stand Brenda. You know, sorry, sorry, Brenda, if you're out there, but it's like, yeah, Brenda, like, did you, did you see what she was doing? Like, man, yeah. like she she had her arms like too high, like you know, it's mm-hmm. like or just like she was, and it's like it's like really, like was the Spirit moving, and then we're gonna yeah. go and, and, just and talk or do smack? you have like conviction when you start? Because you know, like let's be honest, you've left church on Sunday, and then you get home, and then it's like your spouse ticks you off and it's like, you've mm-hmm. just spent the morning worshiping the Lord. And then like you're using words that cut like a knife or like Chris for us, we get home and our kids, man, it's just, oh, yeah. it's a struggle and we get short with them and we, we don't forgive and we're not patient and long suffering. Like God is patient to us. I think one of the greatest evidences that I've seen outside <laughs> of just doing work on the mission field and, and being in ministry for yeah. spiritual warfare is that yeah. like, <laughs> Statistically, it does not make sense that the majority of arguments or heated discussions that happen yeah. happen on a Sunday morning before I'm going to get on stage or yeah. a Sunday afternoon after I've just listened to somebody else preaching yeah. the word. I'm like, if there's evidence for spiritual warfare, yeah. that's it. <laughs> there, was, there was a Sunday one morning where, like, so we have a, a really nice indoor playground at Olive Street, but we really try to keep kids off of it before and after the service because parents are trying to either come in and get their kids checked in or come out. We're trying to limit chaos because it's kind of in our entryway. And I walk down there and there's two kids 
on the playground when they're not supposed to be. You know whose kids those are? Yours. They were mine. Because mm. Megan was trying to help some new guests, and I, I'm telling Hannah to get off, and she will not get off. Mm-hmm. And so I have to go take her around the corner, give her a talking to, do that whole thing. And then like a minute and a half later, I'm on stage being like, hey, everybody, welcome to church. <laughs> oh, but I, I do think if, you know, if we're leaving and – we don't have a love for God. We're talking a lot about love for others. We don't have a love for God. We don't have a longing to be with Him. Not that mm-hmm. it's legalistic, but there's not that desire to be with Him. It just kind of fizzles out. And then we have to really question, did revival really happen? If we're treating other people poorly, we're not caring for them, we're not loving them, we're not looking for their own best interests above our own, we're not forgiving like Christ forgave us, um, and there's no conviction. It's not like it happens, kind of like we're talking about, we're like, man, I blew it. Like we're, we're discouraged mm-hmm. of, of our sin and we're convicted, but it's just like, that's just the way we're living, man. If there's no evidence of love towards God and love towards men, then, then how can we know that we're his disciples? Because that's the evidence he's given others to know. So now in some of this, I think is a narrative being put forth by the enemy. So let me preface yeah. the statement that I'm about to make with that, that some of this is not truth. Yeah. It is a narrative and a, and an element of spiritual warfare. However, um, when you look at uh, the church uh, with a capital C as it exists, particularly in the states, um, if we're to be known as his disciples by our love for one another, do you think love is the first word that comes to the general population's mind when they think about Christians or the church? Mm-mm, absolutely not. All right, so then drilling it down further, and I love my church, uh, in, in this case, small C church, First Baptist Rogers. I love my home church. Uh, I'm in churches all over the country, and I, I still am like, man, we have a, God's right. doing a neat thing here. So for those watching on video, you might notice that Brock just uh, disappeared on the video. It's did because the, we had a fire alarm here in the building and uh, had to evacuate and come back. So now we're going to finish out the rest of this podcast. So to pick up where uh, we were and what I was saying, uh, just talking about love being the defining mark for us as Christians, uh, if the outcome of revival is us loving God and loving men. And uh, you know, as we look at the culture as a whole, uh, do people really define us by love? And uh, unfortunately, in part because of spiritual warfare, it's not always the case, but, but I was drilling down to the fact that uh, as much as I love my church, sorry guys, um, the question needs to be asked, you know, for you guys out there listening that are, are members here at First Baptist Rogers is, um, it begins at an individual level, us being known by our love for one another, mm-hmm. and, and it spirals out to this, uh, to the corporate worship level. And so we at First Baptist Rogers, if we're going to be known by our love, it's going to start with each person out there mm-hmm. really choosing the highest good or best, uh, to use that definition Aaron quote a little while ago, uh, for one another in our family, but also for those in our community, so that we're not known as judgmental bigots, and we're not known as legalists, yep. and we're not known as these things. We're known as a community who love one another. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's great. So that kind of concludes Jonathan Edwards' layout of the five points of you know, evidence of a revival and, and how we can back it up with Scripture. Um, the sad part of this is that this yes. is my last episode of Real Talk Theology. Rip. I will remain on the Real Talk Weekly podcast, but um, I just kind of was brought on as a launching person with this episode. Or, I mean, with this whole podcast. And so. Um, so you were like the launching personality, like we talked about with the revival. Thing. No. So you're the main no. character. I'm yeah. like the launching This is like Frisbee. Michael Scott leaving. It went to my head, and now I've got to. This, like oh, okay. <laughs> this, is, this is Michael Scott leaving the office. This is, I am Michael Scott. 
Yeah. Wow. Wow. No, That's no, no. I don't want to be compared to that. Season. <laughs> yeah. No, somebody else is going to come on um, and fill this role. And so I'm really excited um, for whoever that is. And I know it'll be special. And this has been really fun for me. And Well, you and your colorful icebreakers will be missed. <laughs> Thank so. you. We'll still keep the colorful icebreakers. Yes. I'll do um, and so for anyone listening who feels as though they can't engage in theological conversations, to you, I would say... Don't stop believing.